Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Franklin Rios, who is president of Luminar. Today we will discuss Latino Big Data. With more than 20 years of management, business development, sales, and marketing experience, Franklin puts into practice his industry knowledge in the interactive e-commerce, telecom, and media industries to lead his company. He is responsible for creating new opportunities, revenue growth, overseeing the investor relations department, shareholder and public communications, financial statements, analyst conference calls, and creating company and performance objectives. Prior to joining Luminar, Franklin was president of the Enterprise Solutions Group at InfoGroup, as well as vice president of interactive sales and marketing at Virtus Communication, Inc., a communications and marketing company worth $1.4 billion. He resides in Denver, Colorado, where he enjoys golfing and playing classical guitar. Franklin, welcome. Hi, Elena. How are you? I am wonderful. Thanks for asking. First, before we get into Latino big data. Let's start with big data. What are we referring to when we talk about big data? The term big data has to do with, uh, traditionally speaking, when companies or marketers or any type of entity needed to gather large amounts of information, there was historically a very limited amount of information that could be stored, and most importantly, a limited amount of information that could be analyze in near real-time basis. Therefore, the technology of big data was developed by, you know, uh, by actually some folks that came out of Yahoo and created a technology that would allow um, very unlimited amounts of data to be stored and to be analyzed in real-time basis and for it, for you not to be, be in a situation where you have to throw anything away, meaning that before when people gather data, they say, well, I, you know, maybe I, I don't need to use this, maybe I need to use that. They needed to choose the types of data that they needed to keep and not keep. And then when their traditional uh, analytics or IT departments would get their hands on this data, it would take weeks, if not months, for it to be analyzed. So big data, it's the ability to have business-related information about analytics and modeling using tremendous amounts of data in a near real-time basis. And what is the ultimate use of this big data? So now that you have this data and that you know you don't have to throw it away, what do you do with it and what kind of a shelf life does it have? Because now that technology is moving so quickly and there are so many changes taking place rapidly, is, is all data still valid? Very much so. Uh, the reason why is because of the following. Um, the other types of data that have traditionally not been able to be stored, uh, there's two types of big data. There is structured data, which is the data that is, you know, list, information, uh, information that comes from point of sale systems or loyalty systems or, or any kind of frequent flyer miles uh, uh, programs, etc. And then there is the type of data that is called unstructured data, which is anything that has to do with online meaning email uh, um, analytics or banner ads analytics or tweeting or Facebook or any type of, of blogging or social media type of data. All of those data components traditionally had been residing and being analyzed as silos individually. With big data, 
now we have the ability to bring all of those points of contact with the, with the company or the consumer, whether this is a B2B or B2C, and be able to drive into insights into what is the preferred mode of communication by the consumer, into what is the consumer um, responding to the best, and the last but not least is to be relevant in the conversation that marketers have with either businesses or consumers. And going back to the concept of longevity, how long is the data valid for? Is this something that you're storing for weeks or months or years? No, this is years. The reason why is because when we take data from even three years ago, because uh, there's quite a bit of seasonality that takes place in marketing and advertising, right? And then you have very specific factors, uh, geoeconomical factors that take place. For example, um, the, when the, the collapse in 2008, of the stock market and all and, and, and a lot of other events that have taken place through through the years and you know the recovery that we're trying to work our way through etc so those points of data are very important to keep and to analyze because if if a company wants to create a predictable model meaning a model analytical model that will give them the best uh the, the best scoring of how a consumer will react or what the data is going to tell you in the future one must use at least three years of historical data to have a robust, predictable model. So the data, the data can be kept for many, many years. And, it, and we actually, uh, when we work with clients, we ask them for at least four or five years worth of data that if they have it. And, and the data that we, that we have on our, on a data store is several years as well. What is Latino big data? What, what does that term mean itself? Well, traditionally speaking, um, the, the, the information that in the marketplace existed about the Latino consumer had to do with highly sample research, meaning that, you know, there might be in major markets like Los Angeles, for example, there might, there might, you know, companies might take, traditional research companies might take 500 Latinos or even 1,000 Latinos and, and ask them questions about their purchasing habits or their, or, or, or their or behavioral uh, a grocery store, um, uh, loyalty purchases, etc., and they would then take a statistical sample and completely uh, uh, enhance it and, and make it into uh, a statement of how everyone is behaving, all the Latinos are behaving. We completely take the reverse approach to that. What I mean by that, what big data for Latinos is, we do not use any sample data. All of the data that we analyze are actual transactions that have taken place between any marketer, retailer, grocery store, or online or catalog company, and we truly analyze the actual behavior of the, of the Latino consumer down to the household level. And the most important part of this is when we start saying that Latinos in a particular DMA behave in one manner versus Latinos in another DMA, this is down to a radius level if you're a retailer, meaning if, if you're a grocery store, we can analyze between a, between a one, three, five, and 10 mile radius of how the Latino consumer is behaving inside of your store and outside of the store and add demographics and psychographics information onto that consumer in order to create a Latino persona. So again, traditionally speaking, highly sample uh, data that was mostly self-reported and done by diaries or done by uh, 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 focus groups, this is completely the opposite because this has everything to do with analyzing actual transactional data.
for purposes of definition, is Latino a self-defined concept or is it someone external who is determining that someone is or isn't Latino? Yeah, the way that we, because when we gather the data, uh, we do not know who's Latino and who is Latino. Um, but we gather the data, we have the data ingested from multiple sources, from about 2,000 sources actually, and from sometimes when the client, if it's a retailer or a grocer, they share with us their loyalty card system or the, or the point of sale, uh, as they call it, T-log, uh, transactional logs. What we then start analyzing, the first thing we start analyzing is what is the consumer purchasing? What are they subscribed to? For example, there might be households that are subscribed to uh, a Spanish-speaking magazine like, like People in Español. There might be subscribers uh, to uh, a satellite cable systems that, that purchase the Spanish package of those uh, cable and satellite providers. There, there might be also very specific products and services that the consumer is uh, purchasing that are very much ethnic-oriented. Okay? And just, and just as important, uh, we also have access to voter file information, which also shows us uh, who is, is a U.S. Uh, a born citizen versus a, uh, a nationalized citizen and also how ethnically that voter is uh, identifying herself or himself. So we take all of these data points and we take all of these actual purchasing behaviors of the consumers and we start creating a scoring mechanism that gives us that gives us a 92% accuracy that allows us to identify a latino consumer and this latino consumer might be one that is primarily an english speaking latino consumer it could be a bilingual latino consumer or a spanish dominant latino consumer are you also looking into facebook and twitter and social media profiles in determining your own profile uh, we are looking in, we're looking at Twitter information, but we are not looking at Facebook information. The reason why is because, um, we haven't found a reliable manner to verify the information of that is self-reported. Because self-reported information is, is, uh, Facebook and Twitter are sources of self-reported information versus actual transactions or actual actions that someone has committed their dollars to do with. So when, if you're subscribing to a, um, a Dish Latino package, which is a very heavy Spanish, uh, package by Dish Network, that is a fairly good indicator that there's Spanish being spoken in the home. And we take other parameters alongside that particular individual and other purchasing habits and very specific key performance indicators in order to come to the conclusion that this is not only a Spanish speaker, but the level, the, but the, but the uh, language preference and the proficiency of the language. What would you say then, since you are dedicating time and it sounds like a lot of energy into creating individual consumer profiles, what would you say, if you feel comfortable stretching it to the national level, is the overall Hispanic marketing profile? Yeah. I'm sorry, the overall Hispanic market profile. What I mean by that is how would you divide that? A moment ago you were talking about profiles of individuals that were English dominant or bilingual or Spanish dominant. If you had to paint a picture of the overall Hispanic market at the national level, what would you say that looks like? 
Uh, the interesting part, Elena, that there are some very common denominators uh, among the Hispanic consumers nationally, but what makes Latino big data most important is not is not the similarities nationally, but the very particular behaviors individually at the DMA level. That's where we come in to be the most efficient. And do you remember the saying that, uh, you know, I know that 50% of my advertising is wasted, but I don't know what 50% that is? Of course. It, then we are basically taking the guessing out of that 50% that you don't know what, what is being wasted. Because we can do a marketing media mix down to the DMA level of what the advertise the marketer is, is investing their dollars online, offline, direct mail, catalog, or television, radio, etc. And we can create that med- marketing media mix and tell them how the, the response of the cons- Latino consumer occurred based on all those points of contact. Whether, by the way, whether it was Spanish media or English-speaking media. So we want to truly uh, provide the credit to the media that the consumer responded to. And sometimes it's not one point of contact, but a multiple points of contact. But those points of contacts have a common denominator that drive a consumer to make a decision. So when, when, when clients ask us, can you provide us national information? The answer is yes, but it's, it's not that much fun because it makes everyone look the same way. When you start drilling down to the individual market levels, like for example, in Chicago, the, 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 the behavior of the Latino consumer, consumer in Chicago is very different from the behavior of the Latino consumer in Los Angeles. The the amounts of grocery trips that a Latino consumer does in Chicago, which averages about two times a week, it is different from the three or four times a week that the Latino consumer in Los Angeles makes. The amounts of grocery stores that the, that the Latino consumer in Chicago visits per week is far less than the amounts of grocery store that the Latino consumer in Los Angeles visits. Is almost at is almost at two times ratio of of, of of more trips and more uh places to shop for groceries by the Latino consumer in LA versus in Chicago. So those differences are you know, you could say there are global differences. And then when you start drilling down to the category, to the product level, and to the brand level, and as and as grocers and, and retailers call it call it to the SKU level, meaning the barcode level it becomes even more pronounced the the differences between DMAs of the he, uh, the of the purchasing habits of the Latino consumer. You were talking about how the behaviors vary from one market to the other, specifically as it relates to the Hispanic community. Within those markets, is there a significant difference between the behavior of Latino consumers and the mainstream or the rest of the markets? Very much so. Um, even within, for example, the 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 LA. Um, let me take L, the LADMA as an example. Um, you know, and, and using the same theme of grocery uh, and consumer packaging goods purchases, um, the Latino consumer goes uh, three to four times to the grocery store per week in Los Angeles versus the non-Latino consumer goes to an average of one time per week grocery shopping. The, the, the basket size of the non-Latino consumer, you know, averages in Los Angeles in the neighborhood of about 180 to $200 versus the Latino consumer, the, each trip, the, the, the contents of the basket and the, and the total value of the basket averages about 60 to $70 per trip 
but the, the the big difference is if you if you multiply that times the four trips per week, then you start then the, the grocers and the retailers start realizing that the Latino consumer ends up with a larger amounts of baskets as a total purchases per week. And therefore it also translates into more categories and more products that are being purchased. Because usually the Latino consumer when they go purchasing uh on on the weekly basis, this three or four times per week in the LA DMA, they're buying multiple brands, they're buying multiple products, and they're also buying of course uh, uh poultry and another and, and, and pastry, etc. But they're buying very a very varied amounts of products uh, in the grocery store, which makes that consumer more attractive to the consumer packaging goods companies. What drives that higher consumption that you're describing to us? Is it a larger family household? Is it because the Latino households are said to have an extended family and a greater numbers in an individual household than the mainstream? Is it that they're consuming more food at home? What, what would you say or, or if you have any data that you might share with us? Yeah, and, and this is where, where Latino big data becomes Latino insights. And that's what we pride ourselves on. Not just reporting on the data, but also translating on what data is telling us as it relates to cultural insights. Before, when marketers and advertisers wanted information about the Latino consumer, you know, other than the highly sampled data, they would reach out to companies that would give them, you know, educated guesses. And, and what we do at Luminar is that we are now providing them very empirical data, scientifically empirical data alongside insights. Because we have, at Lumina, we have about 20 data scientists and mathematicians that are in language. So, and that's really important because when we ingest the data and analyze it and drive the insights, we must have, Lumina, we must have in, uh, in language and in culture analysts in order to drive into the insights. So, Going back to your question, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background on how we drive, how, how we get to those insights. Yes, in, in the LADMA, you might find that the Latino consumer usually has about 1.2 to 1.6 uh, more uh, people in the household present than the non-Latino consumer. But what drives this to a more important space is that the trips that the Latino consumer does to the grocery store are further away. That means a preference of product and a preference, uh, and a preference of, of, of the level of, uh, of quality of product that the Latino consumer is seeking. What I mean by that is that the non-Latino consumer, uh, goes to the grocery store at a maximum between one and 1.4 miles away from the grocery store. The Latino consumer can sometimes travel four to five miles outside of their home radius in order to purchase the, the, the grocery items that he or she wants. That is a big difference. Um, and that could, that could also, uh, that is also related to the amounts of trips and why, uh, the baskets varied. But if you compare that Latino consumer in Los Angeles to the Latino consumer in the Chicago DMA, the Latino consumer in the Chicago DMA does not travel those four or five miles outside of their home to buy specific products. The, 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 the maximum that we have seen the, the Chicago Latino t- uh, traveling for groceries is a maximum of about three quarters of a mile. So, and even, and, and they make, of course, less grocery shopping trips than the LA DMA Latino. 
Is that because of the urban environment that's less conducive to driving, would you speculate? Yes, uh, urban environment is one thing. The other thing is also uh, is the amounts of uh, in 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 Los Angeles, you know, is is, is a very sp- uh, spread out city and 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 with with multiple areas of in town that you can you can purchase products versus in Chicago is more neighborhood based grocery shopping. And also there are not a lot of choices of independent uh gro- uh Latino grocery stores versus in the LADMA there is a wide variety of independent grocery stores uh that exist that drive the Latino consumer want to 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 make that extra trip and and travel that extra couple of miles in order to purchase the products that they're seeking. Are there significant differences in the level of acculturation in just because you've been you've chosen those two uh, we can continue down that path Chicago for example and Los Angeles do you see any significant differences in country of origin or level of acculturation etc in, in those markets well between between Chicago and LA what we found in our in our luminar analysis insights is that th- there's not a a uh, wide variety of country of origin among the Latino population. You know, it's it's it is very much um, stable in that manner. Versus, if we were to compare uh, other city or other, other DMAs in the East Coast, such as New York or Florida or even Atlanta, the Atlanta DMA, those have a more, uh, I would say, wire, wider variety of Latino consumers from multiple uh, 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 heritage. You know, whether it's, of course, Puerto Ricans and Cubans and Mexicans and Central Americans and South South Americans also in several parts of Atlanta. But as it relates back to L.A. and Chicago, the level of acculturation does vary quite a bit. Um, What I mean by that is the amounts of Spanish dominant as a percentage of population of Latino population, by the, uh, the, the level of Spanish dominant Latinos in Chicago is greater than the ones in Los Angeles. Not because Chicago has more or less Latinos. Is the fact that the, the Latino consumer that lives in the Chicago DMA tends to be one that has moved into the area versus the the, the Latino consumer in the LA DMA is one that has been there has been there for several generations. So you have a more a, a more mixed levels of acculturation in LA because of its heritage versus Chicago, where it has been a city where Latinos have immigrated into. It, it sounds like you really need to be keenly aware of the market that you're targeting at a, at a micro level, because from what you were saying earlier, for example, in the Chicago area, Latinos are only willing to travel three-quarters of a mile to do their shopping. And so you have to be very, very aware of the consumer Radius, if you will, as it relates to what you're trying to promote, is is that right? Absolutely. Uh, I, when when any mo- any grocery retailer or consumer packaging goods company wants to create an event or wants to put a marketing campaign or wants to to release a coupon or any type of of outreach marketing and advertising, the the must keep in mind what the consumer is willing to do and what the consumer is used to doing. Because, because of trying to apply the same, the same campaign to everyone without the nuisances of the local DMA components 
would, would, would create a very skewed response levels. Not because the campaign was not a good campaign, it's because, because, it's because the behavior of the Latino consumer was not taken into, into consideration. Many people, and it goes everywhere from those who are Latino themselves to those who are reaching out to Latinos and all of that in between, have misconceptions or expectations sometimes that are born of misconceptions and otherwise of the Hispanic market. How would you define for a, someone who is for the first time waking up to the diversity issues of the country or to the diversity opportunities of the country, how would you define the Hispanic market? What would you say to them? Well, you know, the Hispanic market, just a point of, you know, just points of comparison in order to, to provide a little bit of, uh, of the immensity and the, and the great opportunity that exists in the U.S. Uh, Hispanic market. Um, there are more Hispanics in the U.S. than Canadians in Canada, Okay. I believe Canada has in the neighborhood of about 34, 35 million people, and there are 50 million Latinos in the U.S. Uh, they, if, if you take the U.S. Latino population uh, uh, as a gross domestic product, it would be the sixth fastest uh, economy growing in the world. If, only if you segment the Latino, uh, the Latinos in the U.S., they would constitute the sixth fastest growing uh, GDP in the world. Um, you know, of course, the $1.3 trillion worth of, uh, of purchasing power that the Latino consumer represents, etc. But what is really important is to be able to connect and to be relevant to the Latino consumer. So if someone is, is, is if, an, if a marketer, consumer packaging goods company or, or any type of marketer is waking up today saying, I have got to get serious about this, they need to start by not using a homogeneous point of view, but using more of a focused and disciplined uh, manner of looking at the population. And it's the same is the same discipline that is being applied to general market today to the non-Latino advertising. So it's just that before the data and the empirical facts did not exist in order for someone to make an edu- uh, uh, more than an educated guess, but to make an empirical uh, uh, finding into how to reach to the Latino consumer and what the Latino consumer is responding to. So it, 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 is, it is a matter of reaching out to professionals. Agencies are fantastic avenues that people, that, that uh, marketers can start having conversations about how do I do this? Because we work with, at Luminar, we work with several of the, of the largest uh, Latino agencies in the U.S. and they're coming to us for those insights because they know that their clients are asking them to what's next, what's the next level of, of that in order for me to grow into this marketplace. Now, many folks think either that Latinos don't have significant buying power, that they're undereducated and have low household income levels uh, and are Spanish dominant, or the other argument that I hear often is, well, if they're highly acculturated, then they're already in the mainstream and we're already reaching them. What would you respond to those Ways of thinking. Uh, the ways of thinking would be, what is the data telling you? And usually the answer is, uh, is, is one that is quiet. Because that means that whoever is making those, uh, those, uh, statements has not looked at the data. 
let me give you an example. Uh, one of the challenges that I know that uh, that certain marketers were running into in the Denver DMA was the fact that uh, that in, in, as it relates to uh, car sales, new car sales, all of the uh, uh, all of the English media were saying, "Look, when Latinos buy cars in the Denver DMA, all of the, over ninety percent of them are English speakers. They watch English media." And so, you know, you really don't need to, they were telling the major uh, local dealers and, and the regional advertisement by the major car, car companies, you don't need to invest any money in Spanish media because you're already reaching the more general market media. So in order to empirically know if that is a correct statement or not, what we did is that we went in and we started looking, we got, we got at the data for all the car purchases in the Denver DMA for the last 18 months, down to who, who it is who bought the vehicle, what year, make of the vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we ran it through our data store in order to find out how many of those consumers were Latinos. And within those Latino consumers, we also started finding out who were Spanish-speaking Latinos versus non-Spanish-speaking Latinos, uh, meaning that they had an English preference. And surprisingly enough, we found out that 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 at least out of the Latino purchases of new cars in the Denver DMA, 60% were Spanish dominant. Um, so when advertisers or marketers look at the data, they will be pleasantly surprised that that the normal, uh, um, you know, stereotypical um, uh, assumptions about the Latino consumer are very different. And that can translate into revenue. That can translate into possibilities. Would you say that that results that you found in Denver, that 60% that were Spanish dominant, would you say that is a common occurrence? Is that seen across the board in, in other cities and other markets? Or was that an anomaly? No, it's not an anomaly. We did that, that uh, analysis for eight major DMAs in the U.S. And we found that to be a... Uh, a common denominator of misplacement of, of media dollars and, and uh, like I said, just making assumptions that every Latino that was buying a new vehicle were the ones that are English dominant only. So, uh, and of course, the, the percentages changed from DMA to DMA. You know, that 60% happened to be in Denver. But in other DMAs, that those percentages go up and down accordingly. And 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 the other component about this is that what a coincidence that the dealerships that were the most successful in in capturing the the, the the share of wallet of the Latino consumer in that category happened to be the ones that were investing their time and effort into having a Latino experience inside of their dealership, meaning people that spoke Spanish, they advertised in Spanish and radio and Spanish media and magazines and television, etc. So they were the ones that were ripping the benefits of of, of truly communicating in a relevant manner to the Latino consumer. What about the acculturated Latino? That Latino who is English dominant or bilingual, where do they appear when you're looking at the, the big data and the Latino big data numbers? What kind of positioning do these Latinos have in the market? How desirable are they? Well, they're highly desirable just as much as the, as the Spanish dominant Latino consumer is desirable because there are certain cultural insights that drive a Spanish dominant or English dominant Latino consumer to make a decision. 
What I mean by that, the English dominant Latina consumer, um, he or she maybe if, if we run a marketing media mix, all right, in, on a particular DMA, at Luminar, we have found out that he or she might be very much consuming all of its media, all of his or her media in English. Okay. Whether it's online, offline, radio, what have you. But there are certain areas that that English dominant Latino still reverts back into a very Latino mode. What I mean by that is uh, what, what we have found out in some DMAs is that when it comes to sports, it becomes a very much a Latino, a, a Latino component in the media marketing mix. So even though um, as, uh, English speaking Latinos may be watching uh, football, American football, when it comes to football or soccer, as they call it in the U.S., um, it reverts back to having a favorite team and reverts back to watching events, whether it's European-based football or, or Latin American-based football. Uh, so there are very specific areas where the, where the English-dominant Latino reverts back to, to uh, you know, cooking is another component, too. I mean, cooking is universal, right? I mean, we have found that even though you might have sixth, fifth-generation Italians in the U.S., they're still cooking delicious Italian meals. So, of, of course, the, 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 the form of cooking is also very much a Latino preference. And so um, it is in the packaging and it's in the message that relates to how the consumer, the English-speaking Latino consumer, is also responding. It sounds challenging getting your your finger on the pulse of where your consumer is in terms of language, in terms of medium, and actual products. How do you go approach that? Say, for example, that you have a new client that is selling widgets. What are the steps that you take in order to assist them in positioning themselves in the market? Well, the first thing that we ask them is, um, how much data do you have? Mr. Client, um, the reason why is because we, we need, you know, we prob- chances are the client knows how their co- customers are behaving inside of their environment, whether it's an online environment or, or or brick and mortar environment. But they don't know how that same consumer is behaving outside of the environment, which is what we bring to the table as well. Not only analyzing their data, but uh, but also uh, bringing our data set and combining them in order to drive greater insights. The other thing that that we would ask um, the marketer would be, how much Latino advertising have you done in the U.S.? And what is your experience with with seasoned uh, advertisers that have been around for over twenty years in the Latino uh, um, space? They have experienced tremendous growth, but they also are at a point that where have hit a plateau because they need greater insights. Versus one, a marketer that has not advertised in the Latino space, um, they are in a very different continuum evolution of the Hispanic marketing. So I would highly recommend the ones that that are new to Latino marketing in the U.S. to engage with a Latino agency in the U.S. in order to start uh, looking into what the community looks like, purchasing power and habits, etc., and in combination of working with a Hispanic agency, we provide help and provide the strategy and the insights that will dry, dive deeper into what that marketer needs to do in order to execute in the media space. What would you say about the 
presence of Latinos online and their use of digital technologies. Have you, Seth, is that an area that you're familiar with? Oh, we're very familiar because part of the data that we gather at Luminar is not only um, traditional data such as, you know, what I called, uh, what we call uh, structured data, but also unstructured data, which is online data, banner ads, um, um, you know, uh, surfacing, uh, web surfing behavior, etc. We we license data from uh, several um, web properties and and also from ad networks that track uh, consumer consumer behavior in the on the web, and we use our analytics and modeling to drive insights. And uh, it's it is not surprising to find out that the U.S. Latino consumer is very much involved in technology and online online browsing and online education. However, what the Latino consumer is not doing online as much as the non-Latino consumers is actual making purchases online. So there might be a lot of information and a lot of uh, browsing taking place, but, the, but for the great majority, again, this changes from DMA to DMA, but for the most part, the, the U.S. Latino consumer makes their purchases on a brick-and-mortar uh, place or even through catalog, great catalog expenditure, but 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 very but very small online purchases as it relates to non-Latinos. So, but technology usage is very key and very important. Um, um, that one is is kind of a obvious one to assume due to the fact that nationally speaking, the Latino consumer uh, is younger, right, and and more mobile, etc. So. The usage of technology is obviously greater than non-Latinos and over-indexing. But what is truly important underneath that is it is a decision point and it's a point of gathering information. But where's the execution? How are they voting with their dollars? And where are they voting with their dollars? I've heard from some folks that when they present a website in Spanish targeting U.S. consumers, what they find is that the visitors are actually from outside the United States and that U.S. Hispanics, even those who are Spanish dominant, prefer to visit English language websites. Have you seen any evidence of that? I have not seen any empirical evidence of that. I am sure that um, uh, Latinos in Latin America come to U.S. websites to browse for information and to look at products and services in Spanish. However, there I have not found empirical data that tells me that U.S. Latinos prefer to look at information strictly in English over Spanish. We found that to be very, actually very equalized on a national level. On a DMA level, it changes tremendously. Again, using the Chicago versus L.A., the Chicago Latino online, uh, for, uh, I would, if I remember correctly, um, I believe that, uh, 48% of the Latinos in Chicago, um, uh, gather online information in English versus in Los Angeles is almost the other way around where 70% of Latinos that are, are browsing online are browsing in English. So, you know, 48% in Chicago of English uh, browsing for by Latinos versus 70% browsing by Latinos in the LADMA in English. So it, it varies on a DMA to DMA. 
but but I I have not we at Luminar we have not found any empirical data that tells us that that is an English preference only when it comes to online media, and the, the, you know and, and when it comes to media for us at Luminar we're very agnostic. We're not about whether this is an English play or, or 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 Spanish play. We are about finding what the consumer is doing and empowering our clients with empirical data in order for them to make smarter strategic decisions. Do you find that big data plays a role in the online space or that that role is more relevant in the online space than offline did what what are your thoughts on that well the 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 genesis of big data was certainly online and on, and the reason why is because there's so much information that can be gathered online and 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 tremendous amounts of data that that is gathered however in the general market in the non latino marketing space big data has been around for offline in use for several years already is is like a is is several companies quite secret weapon one of the companies that has excelled in big data without you know announcing how much of it they're doing is Walmart they have been the pioneers in analytics and modeling of and using big data in order to in order to be smarter about distribution merchandising and marketing etc um other financial services companies have their own big data environment already set up um that you know in a stealth mode and the reason why is because big data is turning out to be a secret weapon for mo- a lot of these companies in order for them to be able to get uh a greater greater insights into what their business is doing and how their business should be behaving so big data has been around for a while yes the genesis were um online media but is is widely being used now for offline media and uh another points of of data. Does it play a greater role among Latino consumers or in positioning toward Latino consumers than with the general market or is it the same? Well, what happens now is that because big data in the general market has been uh has been gathering momentum and 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 big data as a whole is it is not a technology that is widely known by a lot of technologists or a lot of IT departments in corporations because it's not your usual environment that this is set up on for example at luminar everything that we have set up our big data environment has been on the cloud why because it, it provides us elasticity it provides us terrific levels of security and it provides us very agile development cycles into our analytical models. And so we are the first company at Luminar that has taken the discipline of big data from from what the general market big data players are doing and applying the discipline into the US Latino consumer space. That's what is unique about this. It's not the fact that we're doing big data, it's the fact that we're doing big data with a very specific focus into the Latino consumer in the US. Tell us about measurement, Franklin, if you would. This is a biggie, certainly at the executive level. People want to know, decision makers, budget, strings, controllers want to know if strategies are resulting in the kinds of 
purchases or influence that they are seeking, do you have a way of measuring the the efforts and the linking big data with results? It's certainly at Luminar. Uh, what we have done is, um, as as we spoke earlier, we have been able to take the guessing out of where the dollars are working and where the dollars are not working, um, due to the fact that because of the data and because of our ability to at Luminar to have a marketing media mix model, it tells us exactly where how the consumer um, responded to marketing. It's, it's, it's very amazing that. Usually our conversations with clients start at the CMO level. CMOs are asking really good questions about the Latino consumer and they're expressing their lack of true insights and their frustration of the fact that, look, I have been in this space for 20 years and I need to get bigger because I know there's more out there and I know that I can be smarter about it, but I don't have any insights. But what we also have found out is the CFOs and the heads of merchandising in, in several of our clients are also tapping into this in, into these insights because they're finding out that they are, there's a lot of information and a lot of analysis that can be used from these insights in order for them to have better product distribution, better distribution of the products as well, and also the way that couponing and other types of, of efforts are being done with their vendors. So this also provides them very powerful tools in order for them to be smarter internally, to be smarter financially, and to be smarter with the consumer. How large does the company need to be to be looking at big data? Some of our listeners, of course, are in academia or nonprofits or may just have a, a small budget for a number of reasons. And so they may be wondering what size requirements are involved in order to approach uh, the big data space. What would you say to that? Um, I would say that it is one of the technologies that has emerged in the last 10 years that has been the most um, reachable and, and able to implement without large amounts of budget. Let me give you some specifics. A lot of the big data um, technology that is out there has been created in open source. Open source is the ability to, to, to download software from the web without paying dollars. It, it is the old concept of Linux, right? There was an open source uh, operating system that was that is available to everyone. Big data is the same. You can create a, a cloud environment in Amazon for example, and you can create a cloud environment in Amazon for a couple of thousand dollars. You can also download the open source um, big data components, okay, such as Hadoop, which is, of course, big data. That is a, a technology that is used for big data. And you can also use other technologies that are available uh, as open source. And what you need is just the brains and the manpower in order to know how to connect all of this technology for it to make sense. But big data environments are not difficult to create, but you one must have the intellectual capital in order to be able to make sense of it and to maintain it. What would you say is the budget range or the size range in terms of actual data? I know you said three years or more is preferable, but would you help us get a better understanding of the actual number of data files or I don't know how you would express it in this case, if it's uh, megabytes or 
gigabytes, yeah. etc. Well, actually, um, it's kind of interesting, right? That there used to be the, the, the megabytes, the terabytes, the pentabytes, and now we are going into the yottabytes. Uh, I mean, these are, you know, yeah, it's, it's a terabyte and a pentabyte, there's a humongous amounts of, you know, it's, it's hundreds of times of difference between a terabyte and a pent- pentabyte. And now you're talking about even bigger than that. Um, it, because of the availability of the cloud, because the, the beauty about big data is you do not have to buy, you do not have to buy millions of dollars of hardware, infrastructure, and software in order to set it up. For big data, in order to set it up, you need to go into, you can go, you can do this in a cloud environment, uh, like I mentioned in Amazon, and, and you could start storing data, the data that you have internally or, or migrating the data that you have internally from a traditional database, such as a SQL database or what have you, and move it onto a big data Hadoop environment. And you could end up setting up your own big data environment for as little as $20,000. Now, Large large entities and corporations, including Luminar, we have invested millions of dollars into our environment. And the reason why is because we are running high-caliber, real-time analytics. We're running machine machine learning analytics. We're also running uh, mathematical model analytics, which requires a lot more horsepower, a lot more software, but it also it it, it also um, uh, uh, results in greater insights and into into greater capabilities for our clients. Are these proprietary systems that you're running in-house, Franklin? The ones that we're running in-house for Luminar, uh, no, we have licensed the the the, the technology from uh, technology partners that have created a really smart uh, uh, code for us to be able to run. Uh, we do not what we have our intellectual property at Luminar is the analytical models and the insights. So the analytical models that our data scientists, our mathematicians run, those are proprietary to us because those are very unique. And the terrific thing about analytical models is that they mature, they grow, they evolve. Because if you run an analytical model in one point in time, it changes constantly. Because guess what? Consumers change constantly. The market changes constantly. Seasonality is constant. Therefore, those models and, and also things that happen in the marketplace, whether it's Wall Street related or socioeconomic related, those things change. So the analytical models continue to evolve, but you're also building on a very wide foundation that you can continue to add on and to, and to continue to, to add more value to them. So the intellectual property that we have is in our um, analytical models and our data scientists. If I'm hearing you correctly, then this isn't a one-time deal. Let me just invest a few thousand dollars, say you were saying at an entry level, $20,000. This isn't a one-time, I'm going to throw some money at this and and forget about it. It sounds like this is something that you have to constantly be nurturing, sort of like a garden is what I'm thinking of as I hear you describe it. Very much so. I would say um, it starts with a garden. You could you could use the analogy of your garden being a twenty thousand dollar garden, and it could and it could end up being a, a multi million acre acres farm of 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 multiple crops that you're harvesting. Um, and the the environment that I mentioned as a startup environment, that twenty thousand range environment, is one that uh, people in academia or nonprofits can use as a sandbox environment as an environment where they can test it, they can see what it, what it can do, 
and the possibilities behind it. Once they know which direction they want to go with it, that's when they can start investing into additional technology, additional capacities, and horsepower, and most importantly, into the analytical models. Because big data, for the sake of big data, of, or just storing data, is useless. It is using analytical models, analytics, in order to drive insights from that. That is the true power of big data. Are there any ROI numbers that you might be able to share with us? In other words, if you invest X number of dollars into big data, your return is going to be X number of dollars over X number of months or years, etc. What what kinds of expectations can people have when dealing with big data? Well, as it relates to big data, yeah, the, the ROIs are very, I mean, and again, big data in the sense of analytics, right? And let me give you, uh, just based on a study that MIT did, um, organizations applying analytics to data, to big data, you know, they have a 2.2 times advantage to outperform the industry peers. That's fairly significant to have a 2.2 times two advantage to outperform your competitor based on the fact that you're using big data analytics. Those same companies, according again to MIT, they they um, enjoy 1.6 times more revenue growth. Those same companies also, by the way, end up with two times more profit growth. And just as important, because client delight is a big part of big data analytics, it also it it, it all translates into two and a half appreciation in the stock price than their peers. So companies that are properly employing big data analytics and modeling enjoy a two and a half times stock price appreciation compared to their peers. Those are, you know, with those, with those kinds of parameters and those kind of data points, um, it's very much impossible to ignore the fact that this is a very powerful tool. What would you say to our listeners who are coming around to the concept? Maybe they're just starting to think about big data. Maybe they're already in big data, but they're starting to think about Latino big data. What suggestions, what uh, tips would you share with them, Franklin, that they might be able to take back to their office or projects or even maybe work with their clients to adopt some of these concepts that you've described to us today? Well, I think another a great place to find out about big data, um, it is um, a, a conference called Strata, S-T-R-A-T-A. It, it is taking place in New York in October. I believe it's on October 20, 23rd to the 26th in New York. There's going to be a, a great conference at Strata. Um, actually, at Luminar, we have been invited to present at Strata because they want us to present big data Latino analytics, big data for the Latino consumer analytics. Um, when it comes to Latino big data, um, you know, Luminar, we're the only company that is applying this discipline and these processes and this technology uh, to the Latino consumer. So we are the, the primary and right now only source of big data for Latino consumers. Uh, but I, I believe uh, Strata would be a great place for anyone who wants to get familiar with big data and analytics to start uh, uh exploring and appreciating the you know the potential of this terrific technology any other tips or suggestions you care to share with our listeners 
I, I would say that um, as a closing, as a closing comment, and thank you, Elena, for the for the stimulating conversation. Um, it, it would be a, a matter of of truly the, the Latino consumer is very much uh, able, willing, and open to be spoken to in a relevant manner by an advertiser. It is a consumer that is not only loyal when they adopt a product, but it's also uh, but but can also be persuaded to try a new product and to try a new something, a new service or a, or a new offering, based on the relevancy of the message. And in order to not be stereotypical about it, um, marketers and advertisers need to adopt a more few-to-few advertising um, uh, a strategy versus a many-to-many advertising strategy. And the way to get to that is by the usage of Latino big data. Thank you, Franklin, for joining us from Denver, Colorado. Thank you, Lena. Be well. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Franklin Rios, president of Luminar, who discussed Latino big data. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.